The views expressed on this program are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views and opinions of Centennial Securities. Be reminded that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Happy Friday! Welcome to the Weekly Investment Podcast, where we discuss the week's must-know investment news and how it affects your money. I am your host, Walter. This week we discuss the S&P 500 year-to-date, our bonds back, and we answer one of your questions. It's been another exciting week in the investment world, so let's crack right into the news. With the year halfway over, The S&P 500 is up nearly 12% year-to-date, but just 10 stocks are driving all the gains. Let's look at who is moving the S&P 500 higher through the first six months of 2023 and what that means for your portfolio. Apple, NVIDIA, and Broadcom together account for almost 40% of the S&P 500's gain this year. In addition to Apple, NVIDIA, and Broadcom, The stocks powering the S&P 500 are Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, Tesla, Advanced Micro Devices, and Salesforce. The S&P 500's rally is top-heavy on growth stocks, mainly in technology stocks fueled by a frenzy related to artificial intelligence. Year-to-date, the growth category is up over 19%, compared to core stocks rising 2%, and value stocks losing two and a quarter percent. According to independent investment research firm Morningstar, many of the S&P's growth stocks are now fully valued. The one stock in the S&P 500's top 10 market moving stocks that is still undervalued, according to Morningstar, is Alphabet, parent of Google. Morningstar sees value price stocks, especially smaller ones, roughly 40% undervalued, with energy stocks potentially also being undervalued. What does this mean if you own the tech stocks that have had a big run-up this year? Morningstar suggests selling and rebalancing into undervalued areas. While I personally think some of the companies leading this year's S&P 500 rally have more room to run, Long-term listeners of the WIP will know the trading floor quote of, No one ever went broke taking a profit. After a lousy year for bonds in 2022, the current outlook is much better. Vanguard's global head of fixed income says, quote, Bonds are back, end quote. Why are bonds back in business and where are opportunities? Sarah Devereaux oversees about $2 trillion in Vanguard's bond funds. Devereaux joined Vanguard in 2019 from Goldman Sachs and was recently recognized by Barron's for the second time as one of the 100 most influential women in U.S. finance. Vanguard is the world's second largest asset manager with $7.7 trillion in assets under management. Devereaux recently said, quote, I haven't seen this kind of opportunity in a long time, after a decade of yields at the zero lower bound, end quote. 
Devereaux's case for bonds is largely based on three factors. First, there is something for everyone. Short-term yields are higher because the yield curve is inverted, and it is attractive to put your money in a short-term investment, roughly three to six months. But if you have a longer time horizon, you might be better off investing further out on the yield curve. That way, you can pick up some yield and some duration that could rally, especially if we have a recession and interest rates drop. Second, treasuries offer attractive yields and are backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government and are also highly liquid. If we are headed into a recession, typically these types of high quality U.S. treasuries rally. Devereaux likes intermediate term or roughly five-year U.S. government investments. Lastly, good yields can be had in the corporate credit space with 55 to 6% yields in investment-grade corporate bonds available. It's worth noting that investment waters will be choppy heading into a recession, and so it is critical to pick the right companies to invest in if the economy does slow. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions this week. Unfortunately, we can only answer one on today's episode, but keep your questions coming as they may get answered in a future pod. This week's question comes from Heather. Heather asks, The S&P 500 entered a new bull market this week. How does this compare to past bear market exits? And what does history tell us about what comes next? Great questions, Heather. First, let's clarify what a bull and bear market are. Under the criteria used by Dow Jones Market Data and many other market watchers, a 20% increase from a recent low signals the start of a bull market, while a 20% fall signals the start of a bear market. That means that the market is always in either a bull or bear market. Also, the market doesn't move into and out of either a bull or bear each time it crosses the threshold again. It takes another 20% move in the opposite direction to change the status. So, this week the S&P 500 closed above the threshold that marked its exit from a long bear market. The S&P 500 had been in bear market territory for 248 trading days. That's the longest bear market since 1948. Excluding this most recent bear market, the average bear market lasts just 142 trading days. It took 164 trading days from the bear market low to exit, the longest period from bear market low to exiting a bear market since 1958. Excluding this bear market, the average bear market low to bear market exit is just 61 trading days. The S&P 500 fell almost 25.5% from its recent high to its bear market low on a closing basis, and the index is still 10.5% off of the record set on January 3rd, 2022. So what does history tell us about what happens next? Median and average performance following 
post-bear market exits, based on data stretching back to 1929, is largely positive. And of the 14 bear markets since World War II, only two, 2000 to 2002 and 2007 to 2009, produced exits that saw the S&P 500 quickly slump back into bear market territory by declining more than 20%. Go to investwithwalter.com and click on the blog section for the S&P's past performance one month, three months, six months, and one year after exiting a bear market. Next week, we look at May's inflation report and the Fed's policy response. Join us next Friday for that and much, much more. Thank you for listening, and please have a nice weekend when you get there. Talk to you next week.